Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 274. The first monster you have to scare the audience with is yourself, Wes Craven. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host. Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. So I want to wish you guys happy Halloween for all of my American listeners. Today we celebrate Hallow's Eve, or Halloween as, as we know, and it's a scary time, but today's show, we're going to talk about something scarier, distribution. <laughs> and trust me, anyone who has dealt with trying to get their movie sold, distributed out into the world, will tell you it is a nightmare and a scary, scary thing. Much scarier than any of the movies out in the theaters today, for sure. But before we get into that, I want to let you guys know that tomorrow is the launch of Indie Film Hustle TV. The day is here. It has arrived. The people who signed up for early access are jumping into the platform. People are going a little nuts inside. So I'm really happy everyone's watching things. We're getting signups left and right. So I'm really, really thankful, grateful, humbled, and excited to share everything I've been working on for the last four or five months with you guys. It has been a labor of love to say the least. And I really hope you guys find value in IFH TV. So if you want to sign up to get instant access right now, head over to www.ifhtv.com. Now back to the show. Today's guest is returning champion, Linda Nelson from Indie Rights. Now Linda was on episode 17 and she is hasn't been here for a while, but things have changed dramatically since last time 
We spoke uh, to her about distribution in the world of VOD, SVOD, TVOD, AVOD, um, and you know physical media and all sorts of stuff. But we really get into it. This is a masterclass, no joking, about distribution. And if you really want to know the differences between traditional distributor versus a self-distribution model, Linda really breaks it down for you very, very well. I love Indie Rights. Uh, I've sent a ton of the tribe to her um, for distribution. Not every movie is perfect for self-distribution. Some movies need or uh, demand a traditional distribution distribution partner or a hybrid of the two. And Indie Rights is by far the top of my list. And I'll, I'll put her links all all her links in the show notes. But without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Linda Nelson from Indie Rights. I'd like to welcome returning champion, Linda Nelson. How are you, Linda? Good morning. I'm so uh, thrilled to be back talking to Indie Film Hustle. Yes, you were on episode number 15, if I remember correctly. So it's been a few, uh, it's been a minute since you've been with us. Yes, and and in distribution, that's like a century. <laughs> in, in today's world, not in like the, the 70s and 80s, it was pretty standard and didn't move very much, but in today's world, things are moving. No, it's true. I think for a good 30 years, you know, 20 to 30 years, it was just all about DVD sales and that was it. And, um, and now it was it's very different. much based in physical media and that has totally changed. So we'll get, we'll definitely get into all of that good stuff. But so for those who don't remember, how did you get into the business and how did Indie Rights, uh, the company you work with, uh, come to be? Well, um, my partner, current partner, Michael Mattis and I, um, made a, had the opportunity to make a big budget film. It was a five million dollar film. It was our first film. And um, we expected to get very wealthy off of that. And instead, it wound up in a lawsuit. So <laughs> for over the DVD sales. So in, in the biz in, in Hollywood, I can't see that happening. People. Do, what? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and and so and so we had to close our production office and start over again. And and we did. So we decided that, you know, this time around, we we're going to, um, you know, make our own films and uh we made a very low budget uh, feature and we got into some film festivals and started to get a couple of offers and we thought the offers were horrible uh, and we didn't, you know, see how you could, you know, be, make a living in the industry if those were the only kind of deals that were out there. So uh, this was about 2007 and we decided that, well, gee, how hard could it be? Uh, to start a distribution company. I mean, little, little did we know. I mean, it was purely, you know, out of, you know, stupidity that we even, you know, if we knew more, we probably wouldn't even have tried it. But we, we said, oh, you know, can't be that hard. So ignorance so is just, bliss. It is. It's, it's so exactly true. And, and so we went off and, and started a little company called Indie Rights. Um, we started it uh, just with some other filmmakers that were on the festival circuit with us. Uh, we were at like Dances with Film and uh, we got five or six films gathered up. And we figured, oh, well, you know, we've got enough to start a little company and we've got a little catalog. And that's how we started. And uh, now here we are 10 years later uh, and we have 650 films in our catalog. That's nice. Not yes. bad. Not yeah, bad. No, it's, it's just grown exponentially. We really kind of doubled every year. We That's doubled and, and, and we, we love that we don't 
have to go out and look for films. And right. that's the best part about what we do. Every, all of our business is by word of mouth and mm-hmm. people that have been with us for a long time tell their friends and filmmakers and mm-hmm. that are filmmakers and they tell their friends and and then those filmmakers all bring their new films to us. So we have lots of films now that filmmakers where we have four or five, six films from the same filmmakers. And that's it's, amazing. Uh, it's great. It, it, it's a rarity. If you take care of your reputation, mm-hmm. that's what happens. Yes, because distributors technically don't have a fairly good reputation. No, nope, they don't. <laughs> There's, you know, I just I, that that image of. Uh, that you know, guy who's like eighty years old, sitting behind a a, a desk with a cigar, uh, right. making some exploitation posters. Like, kid, all I need is a poster and a and a trailer, and I could sell it. And I have to tell you, more than half the companies are still that. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> it's not a cliche. I mean, anyone who goes to AFM and walks around, they're that's what they're going to see primarily. Yeah, it is. It's still it's that. starting to change, but there's still a lot of that. Yeah, because uh, and would you say it's because overseas is like a little slower to catch up with everything else? Because there's you still need those kind of guys sometimes to get to those overseas markets where you just can't get to them otherwise. Is that true or not? Um, I mean, well, they could go with someone like you, obviously. But yes, right uh, on your own, it's very difficult. I think I think still uh, for foreign sales buyers would prefer to deal with a sales agent or U.S. distributor because uh, they know that they can build a relationship and get more than one film. So Mm -hmm. it takes the same amount of energy to get a film from an individual as it does to get from a company. If you do it with a company, then you're building a relationship where you can have future flow, Mm -hmm. right? And so uh, buyers uh, tend not to deal with individual filmmakers very often. So you have to – if you're an individual filmmaker, you really have to search. Yes. It's a, it takes a huge amount of effort. So if you can find the right distributor, you're better off to use a, a distributor or a sales agent. And and there's a big distinction between the two, and that's something we can talk about a little later. So what um, what are your feelings on the world of distribution today versus what we were talking about even just three years ago? Well, you know, and and the interesting thing is I'm sure I said the same thing then because I keep saying this same thing every year. I don't believe there's ever been a better time for indie filmmakers to make a movie. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I think there's there's more and more opportunity as time goes by. Um, You know, I think that – there are skills that you have to acquire if you want to be able to take advantage of that, and I'm sure we'll talk about that too. <laughs> yes, and 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 I think it's it, from your perspective. I think a lot of people, from your perspective, you see all the possibilities because you're in you're on the ground level. You are in the trenches of distribution every right. day. Where right. I, I speak to filmmakers almost on a daily basis, and distribution is still such a clouded. And in mystery and who's going to screw me and where can I actually make money? When will I actually get a check? Um, Mm -hmm. That it's scary. Distribution is so scary for somebody who doesn't. And I've been in the game for a long time and there's still aspects of distribution that I don't know. You have much more information about it than I do because you do it on a daily basis. But I'm an educated person about it. And I'm still like, I don't know. What's going on over there? Right. Well, and I think part of the reason for that is that this business has never been very transparent. 
Mm-hmm. It's always been quite secretive, an old boys club, mm-hmm. you know, type of environment where nobody shares any information. And, and that also is changing, um, you know, and, and that's a good thing. I mean, it's one of the tenants that we founded our company on. Uh, one uh, was that we were, you know, going to pay filmmakers from dollar one. So mm-hmm. we give our filmmakers 80% and, and we don't charge any expenses. And we give very, very detailed uh, quarterly reporting. And that, that reporting is shared amongst our group mm-hmm. so that, that it ins- the wet filmmakers that are doing great mm-hmm. get inspired, uh, you know, are wind up inspiring ones that aren't doing so great because then they want to know, well, how did you do that? And, you know, and then we can talk about that. So you actually share, you share, so you share with numbers them. with the other filmmakers in your – in- Only within our, our private group. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know you did that. That's really well, actually pretty cool. you know, cool. we do it, and, and, and it's very much appreciated because when it comes time for you to do a new project, you have real numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't let people share uh, those numbers with titles outside the group, mm-hmm. but they can uh, make general um, you know, assumptions and projections based on genre. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. you could look at all of the horror films, for example, you know, in our catalog and 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 draw some conclusions from that about what the realm of possibility is. And so it, it, it winds up, um, you know, being inspirational to those who aren't doing as well. And, and it makes the people that are doing well feel really, really good. So um, we we really feel that's an important part. And it's been missing from our you know, from our industry. And that's kind of why, like on our website, we share our contracts and deliverables list. It's there for the world to see. We don't need to hide the terms of our contract because so, it's fair. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And that's that's amazing. You're extremely transparent. And I think that when filmmakers sign on with a distributor, what they're really signing on with for is one access and two relationships mm-hmm. because – You've been able to build up – so you know just from your experience of doing this so long and you know the buyers that if you have a certain kind of horror a, a horror movie that has – it doesn't even have to have stars in it per se. But if you know the quality of the movie, then you go, oh, I can estimate that that movie is going to make us X amount of dollars because we have a track record of what we've sold movies like that in the past for and current market shares and everything. And you just have relationships where you could just pick up the phone and call up you know, a, a market and go, Hey, I've got this movie. What would you think you could give us for it? Is that a fair, fairly accurate? Well, you know, I, I, because the, the business is in such, such a state of flux right now, mm-hmm. that is kind of changing because, okay. um, it used to be that, you know, a buyer would want an all rights deal for a territory. So some some buyer would approach you for Germany and they'd want everything, theatrical, mm-hmm. uh, broadcast, VOD, DVD. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've got lots of buyers that are looking to buy VOD only or, you know, the, the, so it's it's become more complicated from that, that, mm. that standpoint to try and project. And also – in our experience, we've found that projections aren't terribly uh, relevant for on an individual film, but it certainly gives you the ability to give a range, mm-hmm. right? So you can say, oh, well, we have some that are making $2,000 a month, 
we have some that are making $6,000 a month, right? So, you know, uh, it, it's, it certainly helps you to understand what's possible now, can as you, opposed to how much your film is going to make. Right. It's, it's almost impossible depending uh, that even if you have Brad Pitt in it, like you have estimates, Right. You know, but there's movies that Brad Pitt made that made hundreds of millions of dollars, and there are others that made right. tens right. of millions of dollars. Right. Which, by the way, I would be happy with either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Um, now, how has the streaming game changed the landscape for distribution? Um, I think. You know, obviously, it is the most dramatic change in the past 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the major players way underestimated how quickly streaming would um, uh, become the accepted way to watch movies. And also, a couple of years ago, the technology wasn't available to allow people to watch movies in so many different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be, if you, you know, you, you made a movie, it would come out on DVD and it would go into blockbuster. If you were really lucky, it would stay there for three months and a bunch of people would rent it. And then that would be the end of it. Over. It's pretty much, it's It's dead in the water. Over, Right. For indies. I mean, you know, big blockbuster films that become classics, yes, they, you might be able to still be able to get a hold of those all the time. But indies really kind of cycled through these rental stores fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but now uh, – and also there was very limited shelf space. So how, you know, how many movies could be available at any point in time was very limited, mm-hmm. right? But now we have unlimited shelf space. Mm-hmm. We have – so many different ways to watch movies. Sometimes people watch on tablets, they watch on their laptops, they watch on their television, they watch uh, on their phone. So, you know, there's so many different ways for people to consume your uh, movie now as well. And there's no shelf life. Right. We, have, we have films that are 8, 10 years old that are still earning good money. That's amazing. Which is unbelievable. And we have, like... And for example, we have a number of films where people were with another distributor mm-hmm. and their contracts expired and they never got paid any money at all. Maybe they got a small MG in the beginning, but then never saw any money after that. And as soon as the contract expired, they came to us and now they're earning money for the first time. And their film might be, I don't know, 10 years old. Like we have this film called Cherry. Mm-hmm. which is a terrific film, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they were with another distributor and the rights were, you know, tied up. Uh, it was originally uh, released in uh, 2010, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so as soon as the rights, well, what wound up happening is that they're, they're, uh, another film of theirs that came out much later, they came with us. So as soon as that, as Cherry was available from the other uh, distributor, they had us do it. And now that film is making money for the first time, you know, that they're seeing money from that. And it came out originally in 2010. That's amazing. You know, so, I mean, they're, they're thrilled because they thought they'll never see any money from it. But no, here it is. It's, you know, it's 2018 mm-hmm. and, and, the fun, and, the, and the film's doing really, really well. 
That's amazing. That's really and, amazing. Uh, and Britt Robertson's in it, so she, you know, was not a huge star back when the movie was made, but she is doing really well now. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a, I don't know, her IMDb score is 149, so. She's doing all right. She's yeah, doing okay. She's doing all right. <laughs> now, can you, tell, can you tell the audience a little bit about the difference between SVOD, TVOD, and AVOD? Yes. Very, very important. Uh, to understand all of these different uh, VODs or video <laughs> on demand. <laughs> right. And, and it's important to, um, to understand that, that different demographics are served better by different types of VOD. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we, you know, recently uh, figured out uh, for, our, for our own company. Um, Normally, we'll release a film, especially if we've done a, a limited theatrical on it. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that limited theatrical option a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will put a film out like on Amazon paid transactional first, mm-hmm. right? And see if we can get any traction actually selling it because that's where you're going to make – if it actually gets traction and sells, mm-hmm. you know, they pay half of that money comes to us, whether it's rental or purchase. So that's called paid transactional. Sometimes it's called PVOD. Sometimes it's called TVOD mm-hmm. or transactional or paid transactional. And, and so we, uh, we, we try to do that first. But if there's no names in it and there's not huge buzz going on about it, you're, you're probably better off being on Prime and then we'll move it to Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Now, Amazon Prime, it looks to a user – uh, the same as a Netflix was. It looks like it's free, mm-hmm. but it's not. And there's a huge difference between the two platforms. Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu are all what's called SFOD, mm-hmm. which is subscription video on demand, which means that people pay uh, an annual fee to have access to that platform. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem you know, for indie filmmakers is that Netflix has a different payment scheme than Amazon Prime and some other platforms. So Netflix pays a flat annual or 18-month fee, and they spread those payments over the term, mm-hmm. right? And so say, for example, they are going to give you $20,000 for your film. That means that you're going to get $5,000 a quarter, mm-hmm. right? Now they really want an exclusive window while you're with Netflix. They don't want you out on any other platforms, which to me is horrible because what happens is that then because so many people have Netflix, almost almost your entire audience is going to watch it on Amazon and I mean on Netflix and that's all the money you're ever going to see. So, so, so it w- can really cannibalize your revenue. Now, are they buying a lot of indie movies? I hear that they're not doing they're as not. much. They're not buying a lot of independent films uh, because their business model uh, favors serialized content, mm-hmm. right? So more like TV shows, mm-hmm. that type of uh, content. But um, but Amazon, on the other hand, pay, pays by the minutes watched. Mm-hmm. So if you have a strong film and you have good social media marketing, uh, you can actually earn very, very well. We have – we have a film that's made close to half a million dollars this year on uh, Amazon Prime. Now, what do they pay? What is uh, what is their rate? Is that, <laughs> does it, it vary? The rate, the rate is extremely complicated, <laughs> and 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 
it's impossible to tell somebody what that rate is going to be until it's released. So what happens is they have a tiered system mm-hmm. and uh, what they will pay six cents a minute up till a hundred thousand and from a hundred thousand to a half a million, uh, they pay 10 cents and from a half a million uh, to a million, they pay um, uh, 15 cents. But so, that's, but that's not per minute. That's per hour watched, isn't it? That's per hour. That's yeah. Per, per hour, hour watched. watched. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, on our catalog for, for example, we have some earning 15 cents. We have some are a lot earning 10 cents. Most that's the predominant one for us is 10 cents and some are earning six cents. Um, you know, the six centers tend to be ones that have been out for a long time and people have forgotten about them and they're on to the next film and they don't bother nurturing them anymore. Right. So there, and, and, and it's important to remember that you really do need to, um, maintain, uh, at least a maintenance schedule mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, social media on your older films and you can schedule that stuff. Sure. You know, so it doesn't become. It's not. Doesn't have to be terribly uh, time-consuming, and uh, you know, I remind me to talk about post-post. That's my my new buzzword. Post-post. Uh, you mean deliverables? Uh, no, post-post is is actually marketing. It's like uh, a final phase of production. Got it. all right. After I'll, post. <laughs> okay, so I will. I will. Uh, I will make po- a note, and we'll talk about. That I will post-post. Got post. it. Because it's critical. So anyway, so back to uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what I like about their new pay scheme is that there is no longer any kind of cap. So uh, your films don't stop earning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had some films uh, last year when they first announced that uh, plan that uh, we're going to cap out. Well, they did cap out. And then so all of a sudden the film that's making 20, 000, was making 20000 a month you know, capped out and couldn't earn anymore for a whole calendar year. So uh, they removed that cap, which was great. So when you have strong films, you're going to just keep on earning. We like that. And also, uh, because we're considered a studio by Amazon, we're in 120 territories. Oh, so you're you're so you have access much we more than access. Amazon Video Direct, let's say. Right, exactly. So if you're just an individual filmmaker and you go on Amazon, all you're getting is U.S. and U.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can't even get Germany and Japan anymore, which they were offering to individuals for a little while, but not anymore. So U.S. and U.K. is all you can get if you're just an individual filmmaker, which is why that should be your last resort. If you can't find a good distribution partner, then do that. But if if you can find a good one, then you can be in 120 territories. <laughs> so that's what you want to do because every day more and more people in all these territories are adopting are adopting. Uh, streaming, just mm-hmm. like it happened in the United States. Amazon didn't happen overnight in the United States. We had the first downloadable film from Amazon in 2007, and we have a picture of that on our website. Uh, you know, And so here we are. It's 10 years later, and it's firmly established here in the U.S. But you know, this it's all new to a lot of the foreign territories, so it's going to take a little time. I don't think it'll take that long, but it might take two years or three years. But you still want your film there and to have a presence so that you can take advantage of it when it really starts to grab because there won't be that much content there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not won't be as much uh, competition. Uh, so and and it used to be on Amazon that um, foreign territories all earn six cents no matter how much they were watched. Mm-hmm. So they changed that too. So now we get the same 
opportunity for foreign territories that we do for the U.S. as far as payment tiers. So uh, the other advantage of being with a distributor relative to uh, platforms is that they have um, they have algorithms um, that uh, create recommendations for people, mm-hmm. and and one of the one of the heaviest weighted al- uh, algorithm element is the studio that you're with. So in other words, if you bring up one of our films, then the recommendation. Uh, engine or algorithm is going to go out there and look for other indie rights films that might be in the same genre or have some of the same actors. Because you're a studio, uh, according to because Amazon. Because we're a studio, according to Amazon. So, so that's really that's really important too, because that really push that surfaces all of our films, and that really helps. Wow! Yeah, you cut through a lot so, of the of, of the you rise yeah, to the top. That's right. That's right. So that's really good. So so then that so now we've talked about uh, SVOD and TVOD. How about AVOD? AVOD AVOD is a very interesting um, option, and really what AVOD is, it's ads. A the A part is for advertising, and that stands for um, that stands for advertising. And so so those channels that are AVOD channels, they're going to insert ads before during and after your movie. Now, you know, not too far back, we all watched movies on television and there were always advertising. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are quite comfortable with having ads. My personal preference is to not have ads and be able to watch a movie straight through. Sure. But, but there's a huge part of the demographic that really can't afford to spend $120 on cable or whatever it takes to get all of these subscription charges, you know. So, you know, they don't want to have to pay money to be on Prime and pay mm-hmm. more money to have Netflix and pay more money for this or that. And so they're quite comfortable having a Roku box and watching ad-supported channels. So ads – and that's a part of VOD is like Roku, who are some of the services? Well, the the – the top ad-supported channel is called Tubi TV. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with? Yeah, Tubi? of course. I've seen it on okay. my. I've seen it as I scan through my apps. Right. So, so Tubi TV is what is the most popular right now. Mm-hmm. Now, um, about two years ago, uh, we wanted to get in on this so-called OTT market, which is the streaming channels. Mm-hmm. They're called OTT for over the top, mm-hmm. and they mean and, and it and it means that they're they're they they're not linear. They're streaming channels that are not linear. They're like they're apps basically, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it means that you can watch what you want when you want to watch it on any device, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's people are moving away from the old linear model of broadcast, and we'll talk oh. about broadcast in a few minutes too because that's important to see what's happening with that. But people no longer want to have a TV guide and have to look up something and say, oh, I got to be home on Tuesday night at three, you know, at mm-hmm. six o'clock, right? I mean, I think those days are pretty much over. But uh, so, so there is a huge demographic uh, that is maybe a little bit lower income, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe less educated or whatever. They, they, aren't going to spend the money on Prime and Netflix and, and those bi- expensive subscription channels. Mm-hmm. And they're quite happy to have ad-supported channels. And so Tubi is doing huge. And we, we have films that are 
If you go to Tubi TV right now, you'll see like our top earning film is sitting. It's 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 sometimes it's first, sometimes it's second, but it's always in the top three or four films on Tubi. Okay. Really, and and can you and can you expect to make a decent revenue if, if you're that, up at the high? That, that film's making twenty grand a month. Just off Tubi or oh yes, total? Yes, no Tubi. Wow, that's so. Insane. But you've got to have you've got to have a hit. You know, you can't. You know, it's it's and you have to really really work at what you're doing. Uh, so it's um um really important that people understand that that everybody's not going to make that kind of money that you really have to uh commit mm-hmm. you know to learning how to use social media and use it well to engage with your audience i mean i'll give you a perfect example i'm i i'm a recent cable cutter you know mm-hmm. and i cut and i cut my cable for the first time because i discovered youtube tv i love youtube tv youtube tv for 40 bucks a month right I mean, you can't beat it. And the way it allows you to like, if you like a show, let's say the Big Bang Theory, and you add it to your library, automatically, wherever it plays in the world that it controls, it will record (laughs) it for you in order with episodes and by season. So you basically, what you used to have to go out and buy DVDs for of seasons, you have access to, sure, with ads. But sometimes you can skip through those ads without even even stopping. It's right. it's fascinating how the world is changing now. It's and let's talk about broadcast and let's talk about broadcast because I okay. is there any money left? Well, I'm going to just mention that um, I'm going to do a plug for us. So two years ago, we thought, oh, we've got to get in on this OTT model. So we had a subscription channel built called Indie Rights Movies. Okay, right and. We found it so difficult to get subscribers mm-hmm. uh, because – and then we realized, you know what? We're trying to compete with Netflix. Right. You know, and, and why is somebody going to pay $5 a month you know, just to see indie rights movies when they can be on Netflix and have access to thousands and thousands and thousands? Sure. So we kind of just let it lapse. I mean it's still there. Mm-hmm. But we might get one or two new subscribers a month. You know, it's very, you know, just, you know, we thought ridiculous. Right. So then, but then uh, about six months ago, a company approached us that had millions of dollars worth of advertising that they needed to place on a channel. And they built us a beautiful ad supported channel. And that channel is going to launch on September 17th. Oh, congratulations. So. Our goal is to compete with Tubi. Tubi TV. And I think we have a good chance at it because I can see that our films are earning well on Tubi. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, Interesting. you know, and so that is a, it's a Roku channel and you'll see it in the, you know, Roku lineup and it's Indie Rights movies for free. And so I think that it's going to be, you know, very good revenue uh, earner for our filmmakers. So, so we're we're that's something that we're going to do. <laughs> that's um that's a really see I haven't really not heard of I mean I know about Avod but I did not know like the inner workings like you've just discussed. So that's a really interesting business model because you're basically uh-huh. giving it away for you're basically turning into a, an old school broadcast channel. That's right. You're basically except that people can watch what they want when they want to watch it. Right, and you can, and it'll pause There's for no you. Time you can, schedule. That's right. right. So it is the best of both worlds exactly. for that kind of consumer who doesn't want to pay ten bucks a month That's right. for Netflix or twenty bucks a month for HBO That's right. or whatever it is. That's right. That's right. That's really, and all they have to do is buy a Roku box. 
That's right. And plug it into their TV, and you're out, to, and, you, right. and you're ready to. Well, rock and it even in. new TVs have it have in there. Those channels built in, like <laughs> yeah. our channel is going to be built into TVs. Right, right. That's it's insane. That's insane. Yeah. So let's talk about broadcast. Is it? Okay. Uh, is there money left? There, there is some, but it is dwindling, and it, and linear broadcast is dwindling the fastest for the reasons that we just spoke about. People don't want to have to commit to a certain time on a certain date to watch something. Mm -hmm. So what you're seeing happen is that the big-time players in broadcast are now all streaming. So there's HBO now, there's Stars now. There, so Showtime now. They so. are shifting. They have realized that they've got to shift mm -hmm. uh, you know, into – uh, so um, there still will be opportunities for those networks to uh, purchase uh, or license uh, independent content. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we license some of our content to like Stars and Showtime and, and stuff like that. So it's still there. But it is certainly turning into all streaming. You know, mm -hmm. so basically it's all becoming digital. And OTT, and I think that the regular, you know, network aspect of it is just really doomed. Uh, do, do you think? I, I, do you, I, I, I mean, don't think do, it's going to last. Do you? Th yeah, I was going to ask you. Do you think that uh, network? I mean, there's obviously the three big, the four big networks, but like right. the CNNs of the world, the um, the news networks, the Discovery channels, all of those kind of. They're all streaming. They're all now, they're already. all streaming, but but is cable? I mean, cable is still a thing. It will be a thing for a while. Just, I think I don't I don't know about that. I think that I think that what's going to happen is that it's really they're just going to become cable providers. I mean, internet providers. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's all I use. I have you know we have AT and T. Mm -hmm. uh, Same here. And that, right, and and we and. For our business, obviously, we have to have fast internet, so we have a thousand megabytes per second up and down. Nice, which is great, but mm -hmm. we must have that because we have to we upload, have so download, deliver. Yeah, yeah, we're delivering electronically, so mm -hmm. uh, so we need that. But uh, but it's uh, that's all we have. You know, we have we haven't had cable for five years, I think. You see, you're much more ahead of the game than I was. I literally just yeah. cut off my DirecTV when I moved. <laughs> <laughs> now, so um, so is there any money left in limited theatrical? And money, no. Money, no. But <laughs> pres prestige and buzz for your film, super important. So tell me about limited theatrical. We, we, do, we do one every week. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, you know, uh, Friday night, we're always releasing, you know, one film and we're booked now until early December. Uh, and you're and doing it here locally in Los Angeles. Yes. We, we use right now, we use a, a, a theater called arena Cine lounge. Mm -hmm. It's a 53 seat theater. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It has uh, DC, great DCP mm -hmm. and uh, great sound, you know, projector and mm -hmm. stuff. So, uh, we, do a one-week release for a number of reasons. Uh, one, uh, all, just about every one of our films gets an L.A. Times review. We can't guarantee it, but 95% of them do get an L.A. Times review, mm -hmm. which is very valuable. Uh, many get a Hollywood Reporter review. Uh, but what's most important about it is that when you do that one-week release, you are getting a, a Rotten Tomato page. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so we get and we get that we order that Rotten Tomato page like two weeks before the film releases, and you also get a Fandango page. Mm-hmm. Though, because that's where tickets are sold, and so those two things are very, very important. People really underestimate how important Rotten Tomatoes is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, if you go on Rotten Tomatoes and you look up like one of our films, like Everlasting or Stray, mm-hmm. and they have all of these fresh tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is the first place that buyers look after they watch a trailer for a film. They mm. immediately go there and look at that. And we noticed that starting about a year and a half, two years ago at our office at AFM. We'd be sitting on the couch. You know, they would, uh, you know, they'd, they'd watch a trailer and go, yeah, that looks interesting. And then they'd say, hold on a minute. And then he got their phone and they're on Rotten Tomatoes looking to see what the tomato scores are. Because they don't want to have to watch the movie. <laughs> well, they they want to know they want to know what the critics think, and they, but and they also want to know what the audience thinks. So when we train, we train and educate our filmmakers how to understand what's important, you know, for building buzz for their film. So mm-hmm. we train them how to get reviews on Rotten Tomatoes because it's really really important and. Um, and and the public uses it too. People mm. look up. Oh, I look it up all the time. Yeah, it's right. it, it has become the, for better or worse, it can sink a movie or it can yeah. make a movie. <laughs> studios hate it. Studios absolutely well, hate it. Studios hate it because they don't bother to work it. All right. Right. If you can, you can really research critics and write to critics um, that are approved by Rotten Tomatoes and and get good reviews for your film. You know, mm. if you get enough. You know, unless your real film is really horrible, <laughs> right? You know, then you won't. But but if you got a decent film, some are going to like it, some aren't. Right. I mean, and and I find I could never guess. Like with the L.A. Times reviews, mm. ones I think are going to get a great great review don't. Ones that I think, oh, this one, they'll never think much of this, and they'll get a great review. Mm-hmm. So I give up. And if you know, if if someone like me with experience with 500 films, 600 mm-hmm. films, can't guess which ones are going to get a decent review. The rest of us Nobody have. Had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rest of us aren't going to be in good shape right. to do so. You know, so so that's important in Fandango. We have films that, you know, the Fandango trailer has gotten over a million reviews. And I can't tell you that really helps on YouTube because they have all those – Fandango has all those uh, channels on YouTube with trailers. Yeah, that, is that how that works? Because I always wondered why those channels on YouTube are allowed to play these trailers and not get dinged for the copyright. No, because uh, we're they're sent to them by the distributors. Like we send those mm-hmm. to them. They have our permission. Got it. And you just have to be that. That if you have a large enough audience on YouTube, then you become okay. <laughs> well, we're we're a partner with Google, so we have. All of our movies go on YouTube movie rentals. Mm-hmm, of course. So, you know, so so when, you know, when we um, give the trailer to somebody, mm-hmm. then it's not going to – it comes up in a list that somebody's got it, mm-hmm. and then we just dismiss it. Got it. And if it's somebody we don't want to have it, then we make them take it down. <laughs> um, now, now I'm going to talk about something that you and I uh, have had disagreements about in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know oh. you. I, I know what you, you know. What I'm going to talk about? So, Self versus traditional. Yes, yeah, versus traditional. Because I remember when I was about to release this is Meg, my first feature. I got a a, t- a message on Facebook, and you're like, "Please tell me you're not self distributing your movie." 
<laughs> I remember you said like, yes, yeah. I am. Why would you do that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I said, and I said, well, I have an audience and, and I think it's going to be okay. She's like, and then there was a pause. And then you're like, yeah, I'll probably work for you because you already have an audience and you can sell it to them. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> and that was the that was the exchange, and, everybody. And, and was it fine? Did it you was make wonderful. Lots of no, money? we made a we made, I mean, not retirement money, but we made money and I still get checks every quarter. Um, my partner and I are very happy with the way it went. We sold it to Hulu. We sold it internationally uh, through an uh, through an international distributor who just picked up international. Oh, rights. so you got so you did get a sales agent for international, not for domestic. And then ah. now we just found a domestic partner for wraparound rights, but I still maintain SVOD and I think Amazon and iTunes. Those are we control those, but everything else. Uh, they would control for wraparound but, rights. But Amazon, are you only in two countries? Uh, no, uh, no, we we could because we went through Distriber. We had access not to 120. I forgot. It's it's probably yeah. like oh, a, a they bunch. have like eight or nine. Yeah, they got a bunch of them. But we yeah. pulled all of them off internationally, and because because of the international deals that were going on, so we just literally just control the U.S., which is where the bulk of our money came from. Um, I'm curious to see what would have happened if we would have gone with someone like yourself. But also, that movie was a proof of concept. I wanted to prove to my audience that it could be done. The movie's budget was ridiculously low, so mm -hmm. I did not have to recoup a lot of money. Actually, right. I was in the black when I started shooting because it was crowdfunded. It was an experiment. Uh -huh. um, so it, it worked out perfectly for what I wanted to do. Uh, right. Will I do that on my next movie coming up? I don't know. We'll see. Right. So, if, so. You, if you have a film that you believe has no global opportunity, you, you might be fine just doing U.S. on Amazon. You know? right. But if you do a film that has any kind of global audience, you're always going to be better off with someone to handle um, worldwide rights. Um, these days we won't sign a film unless we get global VOD. Mm -hmm. And the reason we want, and then on top of that, we actually have two contracts now. We have mm -hmm. a three-year contract for domestic mm -hmm. distribution mm -hmm. plus global VOD. Mm -hmm. All right, so that so that we can we can do DVD if you want. It's not mandatory, but we have a great DVD Blu-ray deal. So there's there's no reason for anybody not to do that. Mm -hmm. There's no cost, and it's very expansive. Mm -hmm. uh, then, uh, and we keep our contract term short because we know that people will love us and stay with us. <laughs> so, so we don't we're, we don't have to ask somebody for seven years or ten years or fifteen years like most companies still do. Right, and and we do that because we know you're going to stay because you're you're going to get paid and and we're honest and you're going to get good reports and we can't guarantee you how much you're going to make but you will know exactly what's going on with not only us but other you know filmmakers like yourself and so then on top of that we have a one year contract for foreign sales mm -hmm. and that allow that allows us to take your film to Cannes mm -hmm. and AFM because we. Exhibit at both, mm -hmm. right? And you don't want to be with a sales rep that's just walking around. You want somebody who's an actual exhibitor and an IFTA member, if possible. What's IFTA? Because, 
IFTA is the International Film and Television Alliance, mm-hmm. and it's a global organization. They're the ones that put on the American film market. Got it. And that gives you a level of credibility with buyers that you can't get without, you know, you don't have it without that. So you'll notice when you walk around AFM on the door sign, mm-hmm. it'll say IFTA member if they're a member of IFTA. And so it instills a level of trust, mm-hmm. right? And believe me, uh, they kick out people that, that you know, don't pay and stuff. So it's, it's a good assurance to foreign buyers that, you know, uh, they're going to get their money. So, uh, and it's a good assurance to us if we buy from people that are uh, certified. So it's, it's like a kind of a verification certification situation, but that one year and both of those contracts renew automatically unless you decide you want to leave. And out of 650 filmmaker films, We've only ever had three people leave, and that was because they thought they could do better, and we've actually got a, <laughs> apologies from two, of, from two of them. I'm still waiting on the third. <laughs> so um, that's all right. So, so anyway, so the reason we like – so we won't do foreign without the domestic, um, and the um, – the reason we like to have both, mm. and we prefer to have both, but we will do just domestic and with the global VOD without the foreign. Uh, the reason we like to have both is that we then control uh, turning on and turning off channels, you know, I mean, uh, territories, you know, where you wouldn't have that if you had two different companies. So what, how you had to take down Amazon. Right. That was, right? that was a little bit of a combo. Yeah, every time right. a foreign distributor right. called me, he's like, Hey, right. we, we have a deal take in the UK, right. pull it right. off. So, so, so that way it's easy for us. We just have a checkbox. So, right. you know, so if we have a buyer for any territory, it's simple enough for us to manage those rights. So, so we like that. And that's, you know, so that that makes it very helpful. So, but there is a but but I mean, and I believe it, I thought with my movie, this is Meg had absolutely no international appeal. It was a dramedy uh, about a comedian in Hollywood. It did have recognizable faces, um, some faces that you know, Krista Allen, who was in Baywatch and a bunch sure. of other movies. Um, you know, so we had a few faces, uh, but no stars. You know, or, you know, bankable stars. Right. I, we thought we had absolutely no appeal but i was mistaken because we sold china south africa the uk um you know china for god's sakes and we i was like what how why so you'd be amazed (laughs) we sell around 20 films a market to china and there are ones that you would not you know think you know had international opportunity but they do so and we get very uh very good uh revenue for China. Do you can you share what you got for China or do you not want to do that? Um we got under under 10k. Okay. So um we get we regularly get between um 10 and 15. Yeah. So, you know, so I mean it, it's good cuz we see I mean we have filmmakers that come to us to us and say, oh, everything's available except for China. We already sold that. And I'll say, well, how much did you sell it for? And they'll go, oh, we got $1,000 for it. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, so so there's tons of people running around out there trying to get rights for China. 
Mm-hmm. Don't fall for it. <laughs> right. Okay. There, and and this has to do a lot with this whole VOD stuff because there's a huge hunger out there for VOD deals. Now. There's a billion people over there. <laughs> right. And so so there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, brokers running around. They're not really distributors. They're not even really sales agents. They're like brokers. Now, can you talk a little bit about DVD and Blu-ray? Is there a market still for that? Yes, absolutely. And specifically, uh, you know, genre mm-hmm. uh, films like horror. Horror fans love to have physical media in their hands. They collect the boxes and all of that stuff. They're collectors, mm-hmm. right? So, but but definitely, uh, you know, there's some DVD sales in, in you know, like in all genres, um, even you know, like dramas and docs do mm-hmm. pretty well. Uh, we what we do, we we had a very bad experience um, uh, with one of our films uh, with a DVD company that went bankrupt in the middle. Of a sale, so in other yes. words, it was old yeah. old school mm-hmm. D- DVD distribution. You had to guess how many that you you know copies you were going to make, then mm-hmm. print them mm-hmm. or replicate them, and have them all sitting in a warehouse, right. and then they get shipped out to places. And the ones that sell, you get paid for, and sometimes they return the ones that don't sell, and or damage. Don't forget damage. Right, or damage, and mm-hmm. and in the end, hopefully you make a little money. Mm-hmm. Well. We did this great deal for Walmart, 20,000 copies. We had them all made, shipped them off to Walmart. A week later, the distributor filed bankruptcy, and we've never seen a penny. Guess who had to pay (laughs) for the the DVDs? We did, right? So that was it. I said, that is the last traditional old-school DVD Blu-ray we're ever going to do. So now we we work with a manufacturer-on-demand partner. Mm -hmm. They're the largest one out there. And they place all of our DVDs and Blu-rays on about 100 web online stores. Mm-hmm. No charge to the filmmaker. We leave it up to the filmmaker to author the, author the DVD and Blu-ray, give us a nice, uh, you know, they give, give us the artwork. We give them a template. Mm-hmm. And they give us the ISO file and, and the artwork and fill in a metadata sheet. It costs them nothing. They send it to us. We give it to the manufacturer, and they make sure it gets distributed on all those websites. If it gets any traction at all, uh, they might get uh, uh, orders for brick and mortar. So like if it's on Walmart's website and a lot of people are buying it, they might say, okay, give us 10,000 copies. You know, but there's no returns involved at all. Right. So, so it's a great opportunity to take advantage of whatever DVD uh, opportunities are still, you know, strong. And And I have to tell you, Streaming does not work great all over the country. We have a lot of areas, and especially in the middle of the country, that don't have internet that's good enough for streaming yet. Believe right. it or not. Oh yeah, and people, and there's a lot of people who are still. I mean, there's generations and people that still want to own or touch yeah. or feel yeah. Yeah. their media, and they're not. I mean, that will change eventually when they die. When my generation but, dies off. Right. Um. <laughs> Also, I have to say that, uh, you know, like when you're giving a gift, if you want to give a movie as a gift, mm-hmm. you, you know, to. it's a lot nicer to have it in the box. <laughs> no, no, without question, without question. And it does come with all the special features and the, the, yeah. the commentary tracks and all that kind of cool stuff. Yeah. So I buy I, the occasional DVD, Blu-ray that I won't buy a DVD, but occasional Blu-ray I'll buy will 
more than likely be a Criterion collection or something. That's right. It's a classic, and it's got interviews with everybody. And, and the and the, and the transfers, that. it's been remastered yeah. or, or right. something yeah. like that. Uh, if I ever buy one, but but it is going Same down here. though. But it's still going down though. I mean, the the, the trend is downwards as far right. as sales are correct. Oh yeah, way. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It, it is going away. Absolutely. Um, do you think? Yeah, in, well, just all the DVD stores are closing. There's hard. I don't know if there's any left. There's <laughs> what? There's there's one. There's one or two blockbusters left in the country. And uh, and you know and 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 if you keep an eye on the amount of shelf space that's available at like Target or Walmart or mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble, they're, they're just it's shrinking and shrinking all the time. Right, and there are and there are still video stores. I actually live uh, not too far away from two video stores. I can't believe oh, wow. it in Burbank. Wow. Um, and I always, and they've been there for a decade that I've been here yeah. and I'm like, how do they stay been? But apparently, especially for different type of demographics of people, um, mm-hmm. that are not that technically, uh, technology is, 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 they're not technically inclined, right? They still want old school Blu-rays and DVDs. Yeah. So it, it's a thing. It's still a thing. Right. Um, now what is the biggest mistake you see filmmakers make in distribution? Not doing a proper job during production so that they can facilitate distribution. You, you're talking about deliverables. That's right, I am. So let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about deliverables because that's one of my favorite to- topics. Because I'm, I, I got, I, I've made my bones in post. So, right. uh, please, please preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, unfortunately, if you don't pay very close attention to what you need as a finished product to deliver to distributors, you are not going to be able to distribute your film uh, to the max. And and we see so many people shoot at frame rates that aren't right. Uh, they uh, don't Mixed frame create, rates. Don't forget mixed right? frame mixed, rates. Mixed frame rates, <laughs> uh, not, you know, can cause a lot of problems. They uh, Poor audio, I think, is the... Uh, most Ugh. common problem that we have. Mm-hmm. And you really, no matter how cheap a film you're going to do, make sure that you get somebody that does the sound that knows what they're doing. Um, very few people that are making new films um, get clean sound, so they can't make an M&E track, which is what you must mm-hmm. have if you're going to really have good foreign sales. Mm-hmm. Um, we have about a 70% failure rate first time somebody distributes you know, sends us their deliverables. The most common uh, problem that we get is that they deliver dual mono instead of real stereo. <laughs> and I, I swear about, you know, more than half of the films that we get have dual mono. And it's really, it's just not doing the settings right, you know, uh, on their editing system and how about uh, 5.1 um right now what's absolutely required for um if you want to be on the premium channels like say itunes and uh, voodoo Mm -hmm. and xbox and amazon and google play fandango uh is that you have to have 1980 by uh 19 yeah 1920 by 1080 um, ProRes Pro 422 HQ stereo. That's mm-hmm. the minimum. 
If you have that, we can get you on anywhere. Mm-hmm. However, if you want the best quality, and I would assume at some time in the future, it may be a requirement, you'll want to do 5.1. <coughs> the 5.1 that's required by premium channels, though, is not just the 5.6, 5.1 channels. Mm-hmm. It's an 8-channel 5.1. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're also adding for ch- uh, channel 7 and 8, a stereo, uh, left and right stereo. Mm-hmm. So that way, they prepare files uh, so that p- that the system is um, de- uh, determined by the platform. And, and if you just have stereo, they'll play stereo. If you have, five point, if you have a surround sound system, they'll play surround sound. So uh, that's why they need to have it all available. And then uh, the, some of the other problems that we see with deliverables, and we, we, no matter how many times we tell people, no color bars or tones <laughs> on the beginning. Countdown. Still, countdown. Still, no countdowns. <laughs> we still get those. A few flames of black and then straight to the movie. That's the way it's got to be. And same on the end, a few frames of back, black. And, no no two pop. Right. No two pops. <laughs> That was for broadcast. Right. It's, it's, it's a holdover. And, and it's a holdover from broadcast. So right. people have to learn to get rid of that. So Color bars is, is – I haven't delivered anything with color bars in years. Oh, uh, we still get them. And <laughs> it's usually from filmmakers that are older that originally – you know, that delivered their previous films to broadcast. Mm-hmm. Right? right? So 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 there's that. And then also – Platforms are very strict. You're not allowed to have any URLs or website information on the back end. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, I, I, I came across we, that. We still get that. Uh, and so you, you have to remove all of those. Um, and then um, the next thing that causes a lot of problems is that we tell people you must have a G-rated trailer. Mm-hmm. And that means no profanity, no nudity, no extreme violence, and yet we still keep. Sometimes we have to go back three and four times with people about, you know, what is a G-rated trailer? I mean, you can't show slashing someone's throat, right? right. You can't show someone <laughs> shooting someone, right. right? Right. You can have there can be a gun in it, but you can't show them shooting someone. But you, right? but you can do some like red band trailers or something like that, can't well, you? They. And everybody should do those, mm-hmm. but f- use those strictly for promotion. Sure. But when you do your deliverables, you must have a G-rated trailer and under two minutes. The other thing that is, you know, has been an issue uh, is closed captions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a requirement now by everybody. Everybody. Uh, and um, mo- we we actually ask people to have two types of. Uh, captions, we ask them for SRT and SCC. Sure. Now, the important thing is that, well, we use a company and recommend a company called Rev.com. Yeah, I was about to say Rev is the All best. Right, Rev, they're, they're great. We help them get started. We were one of their first customers. They're amazing. Okay. I've used them for uh, everything. They're great. I promote they, them heavily. And they now do subtitles for three bucks a minute, which is great. That's insane. Remember those Boring. things used to cost like... Fifteen hundred, twenty, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Oh God! It was the eight dollars a minute to ten dollars right. a minute for captioning. That's right. And so, so now they have a really good option for both. Now, the important thing is that you must get the SCC first. Mm-hmm. When you go to Rev, just just order the SCC. Mm-hmm. Do not order SRT first, mm-hmm. because 
most people don't understand the difference between those two formats. Mm. The SCC format actually has two important things about it that SRT captions do not necessarily have. One is called placement information. Mm -hmm. And so especially for docs or any films that have kind of any burned in information on them, you're not allowed for the captions to overwrite that. So you have to be able to move those captions mm -hmm. to the top or elsewhere, you know, within the frame for that. So if you order SCC first, right, and you get your SCC file, then it will have that placement information. The second information that's really important is that closed captions actually were devised for the deaf. Mm -hmm. So there are what are called atmospherics. Mm -hmm. So in other words, anything that's important for a deaf person to know is happening, like a door slams, a phone rings. When, when wrestling, right, right. Right? That's in the SCC file. It well if you order s if you order SRT file it's really just like a subtitle file in this in the sense that it's only spoken dialogue and you will not get that those two pieces of information and it will fail. Mm -hmm. Okay, it will fail certain platforms like iTunes and Google Play. Amazon's more lenient; they'll take they'll take either. Mm -hmm. But so it's really important to get your SCC files first, and then if you do it from RAMV, once you have the SCC file. You can hit the edit button and save it in any other format, and it'll discard all that. Now, now, I want to ask you a question about 4K because I yes. get filmmakers just constantly, I need a master in 4K. I need to master in 6K. I'm like, you guys are ridiculous. Stop you do, it. You yeah. Well, well 4K – I wouldn't say stop. No, 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 no. But like six K is, you know. No, no. I don't. Four K is great, but it's not like you said. It's not absolutely needed right now. I mean, I delivered. No, it's it's optional right now, but you you should have it. Sure, it's always you wonderful. Your to work, have it. but we take it because, like, we have like on Fandango, we have like ten four K films there. It's not the common thing right now, but it will be. See, like right now, even on Amazon, they won't even take four K through Amazon Video Direct, but. It's coming. No, I mean, look, I, I mastered an $8 million series for Hulu, a Hulu original, and they asked for a 1080p, a 1080p 422HQ stereo. Right. That, right. Was, that was what was going to Hulu. I was yep. like, well, yep. if an $8 million show is doing this, I don't know how much this $50,000 indie feature really needs to master in 4K at this point. It doesn't. It's just that it can give, give you additional revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and, and for us, we say, okay, it's optional. Mm -hmm. We must have that HD. Model. But how much? But is it worth spending the money in post and in production to get that 4K uh, master in regards to the revenue that that 4K I, will bring? Back? I don't. Okay, depending on your workflow, mm -hmm. there might not be any extra cost. Sure. Okay. Nine years ago, we shot delivered in 4k on a red camera mm -hmm. and did everything, all the editing mm -hmm. and mastering everything ourselves, you know, uh, on Adobe premiere. Sure. It didn't, there was not one penny of extra cost. Okay. All right. Now, if you are on Apple or you don't have a powerful computer, you're going to have problems, mm -hmm. you know, with the workflow and stuff. I mean, um, you know, that, you, you, that's what I mean. You know. That's what I mean. Because if you have the the ability to master in 4K, by all means, do it. Right. But if it's going to incur extra hard drive costs because the file sizes are larger, uh, right. that you can't you can't literally push it through your system. Yeah. Or, oh yeah. No. Yeah. It's not worth. It. It's just not worth yeah, it. Yeah. No. 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 Oh, I mean, no. You, of course. You if better you, have a, a. You know. I mean, we had a, a 
big tower with 32 gig of RAM and a six terabyte RAID attached to it. So, you know, so we could do it. Um, you know, and- right. It was a different, yeah. But you, if you can do it, great. If you, if you don't, don't go, don't kill killing yourself to try no, to do it. It's not no, worth it. At absolutely this point. not. Absolutely. Now, can- I will, I will say we're not taking any more SD. <laughs> well, I would hope so. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. There are people who say, oh, but I have this old film in my library. Can you do that? No, then you got to uh, go the, to Terra next. The, the exception is a uh, classic horror from the eighties. Of course, because there's always a market for that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's always a market for that. That's it's an it's a, that's a subgenre that right. that always sells and always will probably sell. Yeah. Um, now, uh, can you discuss sales agent versus a, a traditional distributor? So, for people who don't understand, right? Okay, a sales agent is really just a broker. Mm-hmm. They don't have any direct relationships with any anyone who is an actual outlet for your film. They are looking for other people. They are actually looking for distributors for your film, for you. That's mm-hmm. all. And they might take 25, 30% for doing that. And then they're going to give it to a distributor who's going to take another 20, 30% for actually distributing it. So all of a sudden, you've doubled what you got to pay out. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. It makes perfect okay. sense. So, for example, so for the you for 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 us, uh, for the for VOD, we are a distributor. We have a direct relationship with Amazon. We have a direct relationship with Google Play. There's no middlemen mm. in between. We don't have to go to you know an outside company to encode your film and deliver. You don't need an aggregator. Oh, we, you don't need no, an aggregator. That's right. We. We actually do all of that in house. Got it. So you're the so I mean, yeah, we're the we're the actual distributor. So we're distributing your film, and in fact, we have many sales agents that bring us films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, okay, <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, sometimes there are films that we wanted to get, but they went with the sales agent instead, and it still winds up with us. <laughs> right. So the, you, the Which, filmmakers is, is suffering. So then we're paying. No, we don't even pay the filmmaker. We pay the sales agent. Oh, got it. Okay. Got it. Now, then, now there are producers reps that are, I think all sales agents call themselves producers reps because Mm -hmm. that's really what they are. Mm -hmm. You take someone, there are reputable producers reps out there like Circus Road Films, and they send a lot of films to us, right? You know Sebastian. You know Sebastian and Glenn. I know Sebastian and Glenn very well. In fact, yes. I'm doing I'm doing a panel at Downtown Film Festival um, in October, and I always have Glenn come and speak. Well, He's Glenn been is in actually business for a long time. Glenn's actually in my movie. <laughs> As an actor, Glenn and yeah. Sebastian are both in my he's, movie as actors. You know, and, 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 and he's terrific. And you know what? He's wonderful. I think a lot of new filmmakers, especially it's their first film, or, and they're not, they live in Ohio or whatever, mm-hmm. and they've gotten in a good festival and they've made a great film and they are lost. They have no idea mm-hmm. who's who, who's good, who's bad, right. who they should be working with. And, and he's great working with, you know, people that, need their hand held for a bit, you know, that are, because, you know, like you said, distribution is, it's daunting. It, it's absolutely. And, and Circus Road and Sebastian and, and Glenn are both yep. awesome. And so they, they, 
you know, they send a lot of great films our way, and uh, we really appreciate it. And now Glenn also has a social media marketing company called Media Circus. Yes. So, um, you know, because there are still a lot of filmmakers who don't know about Post Post. And uh, I always make this comparison of that, you know, like when you make a film, you know, you, you're, develop, develop, de- you're in development and then pre-production is like your pregnancy. And then <laughs> when you get – then you're in production and at the end when you have your festival premiere, that's like giving birth. Mm-hmm. And then you have to nurture your film. After post, you've got to do post-post, which is nurturing you you got to raise that baby. You got to raise the baby because if you abandon the baby, there's no telling what's going to happen. With it. <laughs> Go down the wrong alley. All right, good. So you know, so uh, post post is my new favorite phase, and and that's why we educate our filmmakers. That's so. a great analogy, by the way. The uh, yeah. the baby. I just like once yeah. the baby's born, you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. And like, no, it's just getting started. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. a great. An- I'm going to steal that one yeah. from you, Linda. Okay. I love that that's analogy. All right. Yeah. No. 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 It's 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 very true, and 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 they our films, you know, do consume us and take up our so much of our life while we're making them, mm-hmm. and then we just drop the ball. You know, I mean, it's you, you can't do it. So so education for filmmakers is very important to us. We give all our filmmakers like a fifty-page marketing plan. That's only you know they can't print it. You know, it's it's sure. strictly in-house. for in-house. use for in-house and. Um, and it really teaches all the basics and really good techniques for optimizing all of your um, um, social media efforts. And it's really, really important. Plus, we have the private group of all of our filmmakers and we, you know, share resources and support each other. You're kind of like an unlo- – uh, you're like the unicorn of, of distributors, honestly. <laughs> I mean, no, think as I speak to you, and I've known about you for obviously for years now, okay. but now, but kind of getting back into your inner workings, you are so opposite of every other distributor yeah. that I've, yes. I deal with like a Facebook group. Could you imagine <laughs> a Facebook group for some of these distribution companies? There would be flames coming oh, out of your I computer. Know, exactly. Oh, they, they couldn't do it. They <laughs> absolutely couldn't do it. You know, it's insane. Now, you spoke a little bit about AFM. Um, Can you explain to the audience the importance of AFM to distributors and what exactly you do at AFM? Just a little quick overview of AFM. Okay. Um, AFM uh, is the largest gathering of people in the industry that happens every year in Santa Monica. Uh, They take a big, huge hotel, Lowe's Hotel. They take all the beds out of the rooms and they put tables and chairs in there. And all of the people that have content to license rent basically those rooms and you live there for nine days and you sit in the room and what happens is before the event takes place, we get a list of all of the buyers that are registered uh, from the American film market and we send uh, what are called avails, which means pertinent information about any films that you're going to be selling at the market. So in other words, we'll have a poster, a trailer, a synopsis, description of the genre, uh, you know, information if they've been won any festival awards, uh, cast and crew, uh, and, and we send those out to all the buyers. Now, um, because there's a couple of thousand of them, 
Uh, a lot of them just ignore the, those things, but others, you know, will actually write back to you and say, I'm interested in this one, this one, this one. Uh, I will, I'd like to set an appointment. So prob- by the time the market starts, our, uh, we are booked about half of our time with appointments from people that have responded to those um, avails that we sent out to the buyers. Mm-hmm. And then, then the rest of the time in between – the other buyers uh, that come to the market, they walk the hallways. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, there's a book published with every single exhibitor listed in it with a list of the films that they have. And then the, the buyers actually will walk. There's eight stories. of There's eight floors. Mm-hmm. And so they will actually walk the, the hallways. And we all have displays of our posters out in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And if they see something that grabs their mind or – they have sat down with the book and go, oh, this looks interesting, this looks interesting, and they stop at your office and either set up an appointment or if you're free, then they'll sit down and talk with you on the spot. And um, the process is pretty simple. If someone comes in cold and you say, hi, how are you doing? You know, what, are you, what kind of films are you interested in? They'll tell you. Maybe they'll say, oh, I just want romance for Korea or, oh, I just want horror for Japan. Etc. Mm-hmm. Or they might say, oh, you know, I'm looking for VOD rights for, you know, six different territories or whatever. And so you sit down and you start to show them what you have. So we bring with um, – there's a couple of different ways for people to see our films. There's two important buyer databases that go along with uh, CAN and AFM. One is called Sanando. Mm-hmm. And the exhibitors, every time you're exhibit at one of those two markets, your films are on there for a year. So we've been on there for four years now, so our extent, catalog's pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, those online databases have trailers uh, so that people can actually watch your trailers ahead of time. And that brings in a lot of buyers to the office. Uh, and then the other one is called the film catalog. The film catalog, anyone can see. You don't yeah. have to be a member. Anyone could go on the film catalog and look up indie rights and see what movies. Oh, you could sign. Are. You can sign up for the email list. I get. I get. I get constant yeah. emails about all the movies that they have on the right. catalog. So, and right. you're there all so, the time. <laughs> yeah, we 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 are constantly having new films on that carousel because we're IFTA members. Mm-hmm. Only the films that are uploaded by IFTA members get to go on that carousel. Mm. There's only about a hundred of us. Hundred hundred and fifty maybe. So uh, there's a limited number of uh, IFTA members and and people whose films get on there. And you can look you can look up who's a member in IFTA online, mm-hmm. so you can see uh, who you're dealing with. So so that's the process. Now no, now sometimes you will actually sit like in Cannes this year and at AFM last year. In Cannes, the the very first meeting we had was a company from China. Uh, called Hawala. They sat down with us and they had a list with them already. They said, we're interested. We want to see the trailers for this, 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 and this. They wound up signing a deal memo before the end of Cannes for 13 days. First meeting, first day. That's 13 films. That's great. And it was terrific. So now they're regular buyers from us. They bought from us AFM last year. They bought from us in Cannes. And we already have a meeting set up for them for AFM this year. So what happens, there's still a lot of this business that depends on relationships. I Mm -hmm. mean, a lot of people think, oh, pretty soon it'll all, all that'll be done online. And I don't know. I think you want, 
I like to meet people that I'm doing business with face to face. And I, you know, like, and my partner's great at sussing out people. Somebody will walk out and they'll go, we're not doing business with that guy. <laughs> and he has a real, really good in, instincts about that, better than me. And so, you know, it's, I like meeting people in person. And so those markets, that's where you build those relationships. You know, you might have drinks with someone. Sure. You might have lunch with someone, you know, or, you know, and, and also they have a, a buyer's lounge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. That's only for uh, IFTA members, uh, where you can go back with the buyers to these very these big, comfortable lounges with couches, and and they have uh, you know um, players so that they can watch movie, watch your movies, and you can talk about them. So uh, it's a uh, it's a terrific opportunity just to have uh, to build face to face relationships with buyers, and then you know like a. People that have been doing that for a long time, they have all the same buyers come back every year and buy content from them. So it's very much a relationship business, and so that takes a while. I mean, it's we're on it. We're our fourth in our fourth year of doing that, and you know, every year we we build better and better relationships with buyers. So that's the process. And then and then sometimes people will take. They'll say, okay, uh, email me a screener for this one or that one. And then they go back and they watch the movie in their hotel room Mm -hmm. at night. And then they might come back the next day and say, yes, I want to do a deal memo on that. Otherwise, you go back home after the market's over with, and then you have to have follow-up emails to all of the people that you send screeners to. And so it can take three, six months to actually finalize some of these deals. So. It'll go anywhere from doing a deal memo on the spot, you know, to six months, you know, down the road before you actually culminate a deal with somebody. So it, it's quite a, a time, can be a time consuming process. Now, how should like, so, and, and, and I know a lot of filmmakers listening right now, they're like, okay, I'm going to have a movie. I just finished it. I'm going to go to AFM to see if I can get it sold. Mm-hmm. How, how should a filmmaker prepare to go to AFM and what they should, should they be doing? Uh, to approach a distributor like yourself and at what point at AFM, because I know a lot of people make the mistake of trying to do it at the beginning, which you're pretty much packed. Um, uh, yeah, like I mean, that. I think a good idea, you can do what's called a half market pass, which mm-hmm. is the last half of the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first half of the market, most of the exhibitors are very busy uh, selling uh you know, at meetings that they've already established and had preset. So, uh, the half market is is good, and what you should do is do your homework. All you got to do is you can go onto the film catalog and you can research and find companies you know that uh, acquire films like your films. Mm-hmm. Like <coughs> if you if you have a doc, you don't want to go to a company that only does dramas, or you don't want to go to somebody that only does horror film. So you can do all of that research ahead of time, and you can actually email any of the companies and try to set an appointment so that before you get to AFM. That way you can cram all the meetings you want into, you know. Those last days. Yeah, those last days. And, and, and you guys so are it, interested. It's cra- it's, it's, yeah, oh, absolutely. So it, 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 it's crazy to go there with no preparation. Oh, it's just to just show up? Huge waste of time. Right. It, yeah, I would never just show up because – you know, where do you start? <laughs> right. there, there, no, there's, a, there's, you know, there's 800 offices there. Where do, you, where do you start? You know, you, you, you need to at least 
have an idea of what companies might be interested in your type of project. And the same thing if you're looking for financing, because there are a lot of companies there that will finance, but you need to set those, you should try to set all of those meetings ahead of time. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all of my um, my guests. Uh, I think I've added a few since last time we spoke. Um, okay. What advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? A filmmaker. Make the movie that you want to make. Research heavily before uh, you start production so that you can understand what you need to create if you want to be able to have your film distributed. Can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? The Four Agreements. Oh, really? Who wrote that? Uh, It is um, written by a tall tech um, shaman. Oh, wow. And it is um, very, very basic uh, way of life. Is it, and it's called Therefore, the four the four agreements. It's called the four agreements. Interesting. And it's something that I give people as gifts if I think they're kind of you know like ready. Yeah. Well, or or just you know need some uh, good advice about um, you know how to live life. And it's a lot about uh, um, being honest. No, stop it. Uh, it's a lot <laughs> about uh, always doing your best. And then being okay with that every day, you know, you may not, you know, feel like you've accomplished everything you should accomplish, but just try your best every day. Uh, It's about not taking things personally because anyone you interact with, right, Mm -hmm. is filtering everything through their own brain and their own experiences. And it's very easy to get discouraged in our business. Oh, God, yes. So to, to learn that skill... Of, of not taking things, criticism personally from other people, you know, is, is really, really important, you know, and you have to look inside and, you know, drive your passion, you know, from your insides, Got it. not from other people's opinions about what you're doing. And, um, Good. I'm those gonna are, those things are really, really important. I'm going to look that book up. Um, now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? I would say uh, living in the present moment mm-hmm. uh, to totally stay out of the past. Uh, we can learn from the past, but if you live in the past, you wind up feeling a lot of feelings that are not necessary, like regret mm-hmm. and guilt. Mm-hmm. And they can really get in the way of today. And you really shouldn't spend too much time in the future because it keeps you from doing stuff today. So and it's, it's good to guaranteed. dream and have vision. That's right. And, and there, you'll, there's so many possibilities. How could you ever really have any real grasp of what it's going to be? <laughs> I'll tell you, I, my life is so different than I thought it was going to be. Oh, I think everybody's and, is honestly, it's, it's right. just, you never, staying, it, staying in the present is just, you know, a really, really important life skill learning to stay there. Now, what are three of your favorite films of all time? Oh, my God. Just as, as of today, as of right now, right. in the present moment. <laughs> right. Blade Runner. Oh, yes. Thank you. 
Casablanca. Classic. And current uh, Soldado, the new uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro movie. Oh, really? Uh, Sicario. Sicario. Oh, you mean Sicario? Yes. Yeah. That was a really I good just think it was terrific. It was wonderful. I didn't see the sequel. I heard it was pretty good. Oh, this is the sequel. Oh, you're talking about the sequel one? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new one. Nice. Excellent. Better I'm, than the first? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Yep, if that's possible, yes. Very. Absolutely. And uh, and where so can – So that, that's an old one, a new one, and one in between. <laughs> now, where can people find more about you and Indie Rights and what you guys are doing? Indie Rights dot com is our website and there's all kinds of historical information on there mm-hmm. uh what we're doing now m- movies we're distributing a place where you can submit your film to us for distribution mm-hmm. and then as of september 17th our new roku channel indie writes movies for f- free uh will be available on the 17th of september so we're really excited about that and of course we're also on facebook and we didn't really talk much about social media or marketing we should do another one because that's really really important but uh we're we're on youtube and instagram and um facebook and twitter i will i will i will come back and do another one with you if you're so generous with your time again i might do another because we we, this has become an epic conversation as i knew (laughs) it would when i i asked you to come back on this i'm like this is gonna take we're gonna be here for a while so thank you so much for being so generous with your time and dropping and dropping some knowledge bombs on the uh on the tribe today. So I really appreciate it, Linda. Thank you so much. Great. Oh, you're very, very welcome. That was epic. I want to thank Linda so much for dropping an immense amount of knowledge bombs on the tribe today. If you want to get any of her links or how to contact Linda, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 274. And guys, I will be at AFM this year. So I'm going to be flying around. I'm going to be there about three or four days. So if you're going to be at AFM, uh, please Message me, email me, let me know. We'll grab a coffee, we'll sit down, we'll talk, and we'll try to schedule a time so we can all you know get together and uh, and just talk shop and see if uh, see if I can help you or be of service to you in any other way I can. So definitely check it out. And if you are in LA and you have a film that you want to sell or even thinking about making a movie, if you can head over to AFM and even get a day pass just to see how movies are sold. Uh, it is very, very, very educational. I went for the first time last year and it blew my mind. I'm back this year and I plan to go every year that I can because you always meet people, you always learn things there. So definitely check out AFM and I'll put a link to all their information as well in the show notes. And that does it for another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I hope you have a scary and safe Halloween today, guys. So as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. What are you guys doing? Are you still here? The show's over. Stop. What's going on? (laughs) Look, guys, since you guys are still listening to me, I'm going to give you a special, special treat. 
you're going to have absolute instant access to Indie Film Hustle TV. Just go to www.indiefilmhustle.tv. If you want to get in, get in now. And uh, I'm not going to release that URL till tomorrow, but that is the official URL of Indie Film Hustle TV. And there you can sign up, take a look around at what's going on, and uh, enjoy, guys. I really do hope you guys enjoy it. And if you want, please drop me a note. Let me know what you think. I want to hear it. If you got any suggestions, I'm all about it. I want to make IFH TV the best it can for everybody in the tribe and beyond. So thanks again, guys, for listening. And now, go to IFH TV. Stop talking. Stop listening to me. Turn off the podcast. Go to IFH TV. Talk to you soon. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.